Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, beloved family. How are you? I'm fine, and I'm thrilled to be with you. This is Tuesday at the second week of Lent, and I pray that your Lent is going well, and as I say all the time, if it's not, just start again. Begin again every single day. We follow, as you know, the rule of St. Benedict, which is very strict, and most religious life comes from that rule. Um, uh, and the theme is, it's the school of the Lord's service, and we begin again every day, we begin again. Um, not to worry about that, dear ones. The only failure is to not begin again, to give up trying. We have a wonderful um, situation to um, talk about today. Uh, Bishop Strickland spoke at CPAC, 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 C-P-A-C, um, uh, let's see now, that's the Conservative Political Action Conference. And Cheryl Colmer, Colmer, who is a part of this diocese and a very wonderful dear friend, uh, C-O-L-L-M-E-R, she also, she's an author. Um, let me read her. Uh, oh, no, don't tell me I, my goodness, this is amazing. I keep shutting down my own website by my, by my, uh, anyway, Cheryl, um, she's a, a beautiful Catholic. She's a friend. She helped us wonderfully when we first got here to Texas, a uh, tremendous um, woman of God and um, uh, a homesteader and a, a scholar and she's got an MBA and uh, in business and accounting and all of that. It's really, really wonderful. I need to find this again. I just shut down a site and I need to find it again. I'm so sorry. Hold on a minute. And Cheryl covered Bishop Strickland's speech at CPAC. Uh, he had an interview and he had a, at least one talk and um, really, really, really wonderful. And Crisis Magazine uh, has published Cheryl's article, and I've got it back, and I'm going to read it now. And her title is Bishop Strickland Changes the Game. And you know, when I, I hear his talks all over the world now, um, everyone mourned that the Vatican simply removed him with no charge, with no complaint, with nothing wrong, simply removed him from Bishop of Tyler that he was over 10 years. Um, and we all mourned, but God is in charge of that. And he's got Bishop Strickland now speaking fearlessly the truth of the Catholic faith all over the world. It's absolutely wonderful. And the article begins that on Friday, history unfolded as Bishop Joseph Strickland addressed the crowd at the CPAC Ronald Reagan dinner <clears throat> in the nation's capital. Now the world of conservative politics is being transformed. This is Cheryl's article. She's just a fantastic writer. 
um, it begins at the kitchen table Friday night. Dinner dishes still in the sink. The house in darkness because the sun set while I was paying, while I wasn't paying attention. I watched history unfold on the screen of my computer. Bishop Joseph Strickland addressed the crowd at the CPAC Ronald Reagan dinner. He'd been invited to speak a month earlier and not being encumbered by the duties of a diocesan bishop, he was free to accept. It was always going to be a great speech because Bishop Strickland speaks from a heart and mind immersed in prayer. But circumstances lined up for it to be an historic speech. In the recent case of LePage uh, versus Mobile Inf- Infirmary Clinic, Inc., the Alabama Supreme Court had to decide whether the state's wrongful death of a minor act applied to um, extrauterine embryos, those cast aside embryos that result from in vitro fertilization. Uh, people shorten it to IVF. <clears throat> One week ago, the court ruled that embryos, specifically those conceived by IVF, technically are legally children. Unborn children are children without exception based on developmental stage, uh, physical location, or any other ancillary characteristics, the court wrote in its majority opinion. The lone dissenting opinion worried, quote, no court anywhere in the country has reached the conclusion the main opinion reaches. Well, someone has to be first, she says. Our media, excuse me, our media immediately came out with compassion and outrage features um, to win all available sympathy, sympathy for parents who cannot conceive naturally. I, says Cheryl, I never did find a piece with any sympathy for a tiny human being conceived in a lab outside of the act of love, cultivated in a Petri dish and casually stored in a deep freezer. It is the very definition of an abandoned child, a technological orphan. Friday morning, likely Republican candidate Donald Trump promised to protect access to IVF technology and i'll just say because he does not understand what ivf truly is uh it's totally immoral and the president uh ex-president does not understand that he promised to protect ivf technology eroding his strong standing with catholics he pledged the firm backing of the republican party to the creation of strong thriving healthy american families as though ivf is a carefree, innocent way to champion family life. Other conservative figures followed suit. It's ignorance, beloved. Cheryl continues, so all the ingredients for a high-level dust-up were on the table. The CPAC favorite son on record for IVF and an upcoming keynote address by a bishop well-known for speaking hard truths. I'm guessing there were a few organizers wishing they could somehow cancel the bishop it's been done before the ivf issue has the potential to erode the massive lead trump has imperiling the hope we have placed in him to save this nation for our children he is wrong about ivf but most of america has no idea why while ivf affects a small minority about two percent of live births in the united states it could become the hot butter knife issue 
for conservative conservatives. We all know couples who joyfully welcomed a child conceived by technology when nature seemed not to oblige them. <clears throat> Opposition to IVF looks like flat-out meanness, the sort of rigidity we have been condemned for, and yet the CDD, the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, um, uh, has an IVF success estimator on its website to calculate the odds of a successful live birth by IVF. No, I don't think the CDD is the, uh, the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. Um, I, I, it's not coming to mind right now. Um, but um, its website calculates the odds of a successful live birth by IVF based on the mother's age, weight, underlying fertility factors, and pregnancy history. <clears throat> For a 34-year-old female of average weight and height with no underlying pathologies, using her own fresh, not frozen egg, the success rate was 50%. That's an ideal case. For someone older or with a history of ovulatory or uterine disorders or scar tissue, such as might result from a surgical abortion, the odds are lower. <clears throat> It is precisely these odds that require the most appalling aspect of IVF, the creation of multiple embryos so that lab technicians can choose the most robust, leaving 8 to 20 embryos for cold storage. Those embryonic persons who did not make the cut have a sad fate, fate unworthy of human life, waiting on a cryogenic limbo waiting in a cryogenic limbo. Over a million embryos are stored in the United States with no clear plan for their lives. Some will become subjects of scientific experimentation. The odds of a live birth by IVF go down even further when using embryos previously frozen. According to the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, the pregnancy success rate is between 2 and 12% per frozen egg. I know of a woman who tried to bring 31 embryos out of storage to full term. Only one resulted in a live birth. That's 3% success rate. When you freeze a living thing to 196 degrees Fahrenheit, it is not a simple process to make it like it was before. I cannot think of any parents who would sleep, or rather minus, that's minus, minus 196 degrees Fahrenheit. I cannot think of any parents who would sleep at night if they really understood that their children were in a laboratory freezer with probable future dispatch as medical waste or dropped on the floor by an incautious lab tech, as in the case that gave rise to the Alabama decision. There's the music for our first break, beloved. We'll continue this article by Cheryl Calmer as soon as we come back from the break. And after the second break, um, you're free to call in with anything on your heart or to email. The toll-free number is 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com and we'll be right back. <clears throat> Thank you. 
Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. Many of you are familiar with Mother Miriam Live, but I wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the Station of the Cross, such as The Catholic Current. Father Robert McTague discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anytime to The Catholic Current as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. My name is Nathan Wigfield, Executive Director of the St. Thomas More House of Prayer, a Catholic retreat center in Cranberry, Pennsylvania, with the mission of praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours. Our goal is to help people experience the Liturgy of the Hours and discover the prayer that will change their life. The Catholic Church teaches us that the Liturgy of the Hours is the prayer that Christ Himself, together with His body, addresses to the Father and that its purpose is to sanctify each day in the whole range of human activity. That means every time we pray this prayer, our relationship with Christ is deepened, we are united to the faithful of every time and place, and our entire day and work are made holy unto the Lord. To learn more about the prayer of the Church, please visit liturgyofthehours.org or call our retreat center at 814-676-1910. We hear all the time from listeners who discovered the station by seeing a Tri-God bumper magnet in traffic. You can request a free bumper magnet and start evangelizing just by driving around town. Go to thestationofthecross.com and click on Promotional Material under the About tab. There, you can request a magnet for your listening area. We even have one for the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Request yours today. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, dear ones. We're right in the middle of an article, excellent article by Cheryl Colmer of the Diocese of Tyler, covering Bishop um, Joseph Strickland's speech at CPAC, a conservative political action committee, um, speaking about life matters. And Cheryl says, when the moment arrived for the keynote speech on Friday, Bishop Strickland emerged on stage with Deal Hudson, a Catholic media figure. Instead of a podium, two chairs had been arranged in a sort of um, conversation pit. The bishop seemed a bit tentative about the seating arrangement, clutching his sheaf of notes, presumably his prepared speech. Once they were seated, Hudson led off with an open question about the progress toward achieving the ideal of one nation under God, and the bishop took off extemporaneously. A student of the bishop from way back, I recognized his preaching style, the way he tips forward like a drinking bird, um, when he is making an especially essential point, his whole body saying, listen, around three minutes into the event. um, He unfolded his notes. Um, Around five minutes, he began speaking from them. There was apparently nothing Hudson could do to stop him. 
even if he had wanted to. The bishop had something to say, and once he began to speak from his notes, he rolled like a freight train. Around the 13-minute mark, the bishop got to the IVF issue. At home, we all shouted, he's going there. Most parents do not know exactly what IVF entails, never mind politicians. Bishop Strickland called for men and women dedicated to defending human life to educate our leaders, and I imagine he meant Trump most of all. With kindness toward our candidates, he counseled. Many are not well-versed in the controversies of today, but we must be. We must stand strong and instruct these good men and women who are calling to lead us to help them understand the intricacies of what science has done in playing God and having embryonic children frozen and too easily disposed of. IVF is now a scalding hot issue for conservatives, proud to be pro-life. Our front runners have already made definitive statements about IVF, seeing only that it brings joy to agonized couples. Political support for it is almost surely based on ignorance of the gritty details. But those politicians are on record now. Before the bishop took stage, I imagine someone somewhere was hoping he would leave it alone. But this is Bishop Strickland. He does not speak for a party. He cannot be swayed by expedience. If he was a cupcake, he'd still have a diocese. His courage and persistence do not fit the classical political arena. What were they thinking when they extended the invitation? It's all good news for us, however. The things that matter most were taken to the front of the room, not shoved in the coat closet with a smiley face seal. Any reservations I had about mixing a Catholic bishop into a political event evaporated. This is exactly what we have needed. It is what being, it, it's what's being missed from most aspects of our public life, the clear expression of truth in the face of the for, thorniest issues, the issues that we may win or lose elections. Christ, and Christ only brings clarity to these heart-rending issues that confound us. And the bishops, the bishop brought Christ. Oh, I wish all bishops would follow his example. Previous CPAC speakers have certainly mentioned God in their speeches, but Bishop Strickland spoke with a spiritual authority I have never seen matched in any political venue. A new standard has been posted. I'm, I'm a one goosebump. A goo, new standard has been posted, and our leaders must expand their understanding to uphold it. The world of conservative politics has been transformed. Truth entered CPAC by the main door on Friday in a black cassock and a pectoral cross. God bless you, Cheryl. Bishop Strickland's entire talk can be viewed here. If you go to Crisis Magazine today, Crisis Online, um, just type in Bishop Strickland changes the game and you will get his entire speech. Be sure to watch, she says, the body language, the portion of Bishop Strickland's talk specifically addressing IVF can be reviewed, can be viewed, and then she puts another link. Um, and there's a note here from her. Couples who experience trouble conceiving have alternatives besides IVF, such as NAPRO. It does not involve sin in the collection of sperm, and it is as effective or more so than IVF. 
as with many things, the more natural ways are not as seductive as technological solutions, but they are there for those willing to try. I, I bless God for Cheryl. She's truly, let me read her little uh, bio clip here. Cheryl Colmer, C-O-L-L-M-E-R, is an independent consultant for several nonprofit organizations, as she was for ours when we first got to Texas. She holds a master's in theological studies from the University of Dallas, as well as an MBA from her home in the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. She studies homesteading history and the currents in the church, for which I'm quite grateful. Um, Okay, now, um, I don't know if I have time for this, but because it involves IVF, intro, uh, vitro, in vitro fertilization, um, after the Alabama Supreme Court's decision, I'm going to try to read this article. It's the second article uh, for the uh, uh, crisis uh, for the uh, Crisis Magazine online edition today, and it reads this: the Alabama Supreme Court's February 16th decision in LePage versus Mobile Infirmary, Cl- Infirmary Clinic Inc. has been grossly misrepresented arguably for partisan ideological purposes. It has been framed as an all-out attack on artificial reproduction and another nefarious consequence of the reversal of Roe v. Wade. It is neither. It is quite narrow, focused on whether Alabama's wrongful death of a minor act under which the parents whose embryos were lost due to clinic negligence sued applies to embryos outside the womb. Alabama precedent had already said it applied in utero. Um, And the article, the author of this article, who is John Grondelsky, um, explains the situation uh, with a link in the crisis article. And he says this. So I don't think Alabama's judiciary is extending legal protections to the unborn across the board as much as addressing the basis for an injuries lawsuit. But while Alabama is not extending wholesale legal protections to the unborn, those who seek political gain from the ruling are casting it that way. The partisan split is Democrats want to glum onto this ruling to push abortion on demand while Republicans seem to be declaring their love for IVF. Both of them are wrong. Both of them are immoral, beloved. They're pushing their love for IVF in the hope of not being controversial because both sides are utterly ignorant of what IVF is and and the Republicans especially ignorant because it would go against most of their moral stance if they understood it. Even Alabama's Republican governor and legislator seem to go want, want to go down that path. First, despite the fact that there are probably at least a million embryos in the United States consigned to a frozen sleep with no clear prospect of ever being allowed to advance to birth, IVF manages to truck with a pro-life image Beloved, it's pro-death. It's not pro-life. Arguably, most Catholics also viscerally accept the caricature. That's because they do not understand that the technological aspects of IVF result in multiple fertilization, 
embryo, embryo destruction and indeterminate embryo freezing in some countries. There's a mandatory, mandatory discard by date if the embryos are not implanted. That's worse than multiple abortions. It's also because artificial reproduction suffers from the same vow of mafia silence, omerta, that surrounds homiletic treatment of contraception. Finally, people just don't want to say no to somebody wanting a baby, even if they avert their eyes from how they get their wish. That pro-life image is a godsend for the abortionist. That pro-life image, that IVF is pro-life, is a godsend for the abortionist. General American ambivalence about abortion is rooted in a visceral recognition of its moral indefensibility, except for perhaps some narrow range of exceptions in proportion to how advanced is the pregnancy. The abortion on demand, any time for any reason crowd, generally do not say, do not say that too loudly or openly, even if that was what Roe v. Wade allowed, and it is what they want to codify. Being able to marry, I want to have a baby, masquerading as a pro-life motive with reproductive choice gives abortionists a chance at expanding their support. If one examines the state constitutional amendments, pro-abortionists push in the wake. If one examines the state constitutional amendments that pro-abortionists push in the wake of Roe, in the wake of Roe, they seem to fall into two categories. Only in very conservative states, such as Nebraska and South Dakota, do they speak almost exclusively of abortion, even if they lay groundwork for future potential judicial expansion. Elsewhere, for example, in Ohio, they marry abortion with reproductive choice. During last year's Ohio campaign, proponents tried to wed abortion to contraception, scaring Ohioans with um, obiter dicta from Justice Thomas, um, concurrence in Dobbs, to insinuate that legal contraception was threatened. IVF supporters are to them an added blessing expanding the pro-abortion tent. You cannot be in favor of IVF if you are not pro-abortion because it involves abortion. Second, while pro-abortionists will try to profit from support for infertile couples legally transmuted into reproductive choice, let's be aware of the consequences of that sleight of hand. If reproductive choice is utterly unquestionable, as pro-abortionists hope to make any abortion at any stage of gestation, it also means that surrogacy must be a legal, available, reproductive choice. Frankly, I would not be surprised if the caricature of the Alabama ruling is used to grease the slicks to push pending commercial surrogacy over the line in Michigan legislature. Um... Beloved, I'm not going to have time to finish this article, but go to Crisis Magazine online, and um, it's today's two articles, one by Cheryl on Bishop Strickland's um, magnificent uh, contribution at CPAC, and the other by John Grondelsky after the um, Alabama Supreme Court's IVF decision, which is... uh, demonic. It's anything that goes against life is demonic and pleases Satan and pleases the devil. 
Um, we'll be right back after this break, beloved. The Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network presents Saints and Seasons. Today we celebrate the feast of St. Porphyrius of Gaza, Bishop and Confessor. Porphyrius was born in Thessalonica to a wealthy Macedonian noble family around the year 350. At the age of 25, he renounced the things of the world and left for Egypt, where he lived in a monastery for five years. Porphyrius then departed on pilgrimage to the Holy Land and decided to live as a hermit near the River Jordan, which he did for another five years. A serious illness nearly killed him, and he moved to Jerusalem to be near the site of the resurrection. It was here that Porphyrius met his disciple and hagiographer Mark, a future deacon, who helped Porphyrius sell his remaining property in Thessalonica and distribute the earnings to the poor. When Porphyrius recovered his health, he was made a priest and entrusted with guarding a relic of the Holy Cross, though he considered himself unworthy of these honors. Even more reluctantly, Porphyrius was soon made Bishop of Gaza, in which role he labored long and hard to convert the pagan inhabitants of the city and destroy their idols. By the time he died, on February 26th in the year of our Lord 420, not a single professed pagan remained in his see. In the traditional Roman calendar, this feast is observed on the 27th in leap years. Also honored on this day are St. Nestor, St. Alexander of Alexandria, St. Paula Montal, and many other martyrs, confessors, and holy virgins. For more about the saints and seasons of the Catholic Church, visit thestationofthecross.com forward slash saints and seasons. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the Station on the Cross. I listen to the radio station daily and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that, and through your programs, I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the Station of the Cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm live, and we are live, and I'm thrilled to be with you, and this is my favorite part of the program. Um, we have a whole half hour just for us, and our lines are open, and you are welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483. Let me do that again, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at the station of the um, Let's see. And again, uh, the matter of the, the the heart of the matter is the matter of your heart does not need to be what we are speaking about. Um, yesterday, we began an email from Tony, uh, which I promised to take again today because it was we were too. Um, crush for time at the end of the program yesterday. Um, Tony says, I'm 21 years old. I was born Catholic and baptized at birth. So uh, what I said yesterday to Tony is you no one's born Catholic any more than anyone's born a Christian of any sort. You were born an adorable little sinner, and you were born again at baptism. So you became Catholic at baptism and went through all cycles of sacraments without understanding the meaning of why we as Catholics have the sacraments. Um, well, that's to the shame of your 
family of your who would have raised you who should have raised you Catholic and of your teachers shame on them that you did not know you should not have had the sacraments if you didn't know why you cannot say yes to what you don't understand um, Tony says um, uh, without understanding the meaning of why we as Catholics have the sacraments as they are not mentioned explicitly in the Bible that's cor- incorrect uh, the sacraments have been practiced since um, the first century, and everything came from the Bible, and the Bible wasn't put together until four centuries later. But the church has always practiced that, and they're all in the Bible. And I took the time yesterday to go through the seven sacraments and very quickly mentioned all the scriptures where they are in scripture. There's no question, every sacrament is in the Bible, and I won't repeat that. it take up too much time. But simply uh, do a search engine on um, Scripture for the seven sacraments. Um, they are mentioned in the Bible, and you say, but instead they're mentioned individually as different events that lead to salvation. Absolutely not. They're not events, they're sacraments. They are in the Catholic understanding and the Catholic teaching since the apostles on, they are outward signs of an inward reality. So, for example, I said this yesterday. It's a, it's a, it's a good example. I could well. Here's an example: the, the sacraments are outward signs of what God does inside. So, baptism, John three, we're baptized by water in the Spirit. As we enter, what is water? Does water save anybody? Of course not. Water is a sign of cleansing. So as we obey God, we go into the water, or it's sprinkled on us either way. It's water and the Spirit. The Spirit does internally what the water signifies. The water signifies cleansing, and as we are in that water or covered by it, the Holy Spirit comes upon us to remove the stain of original sin and, um, and give us His grace, and we become children of God. Um, Old Testament, testament good example is naaman the leper he became a leper because of his sin and he asked the little girl to go to the uh, the prophet and ask him what to do and the little girl came back and she said he wants you to go into the the water the river and naaman said get out of here go ask him what i should do she came back a couple of times and she said that's what he wants you to do so naaman was frustrated and he finally said fine fine he went into the water and he was cured of his leprosy Did water cure his leprosy? Of course not. But his obedience to go into the water, which was a sign of cleansing, God, through that obedience, cleansed him. Same thing spiritually at our baptism. Tony says, I have a couple of questions on why we have created these man-made rules or doctrines after the amalgamation of the Bible. Now, you say amalgamation, I'm assuming you mean the canonization of the Bible, which happened in the 4th or 5th centuries at the councils of Carthage and Hippo, all by Catholic popes and bishops. That's it. There were no Protestants there in the 4th and 5th century. All Catholics. And they put together the canon of Scripture. And there's no man-made rules or doctrines, because Scripture is the Word of God. Always has been, always will be. And he says in the Bible, 1 Timothy 2.5, it is mentioned in the NRSV, which is the New Revised Standard Version of our Bible, quote, there is one God and also one mediator between God and, and humankind. That's changed from between God and man. Christ Jesus himself human, himself man. But as Tony says, Catholics, we invoke the names of Mother Mary and the saints alike interchangeably in prayers as mediators to pray for people that have passed I want to know the reason why we do this. 
as our Bible says, not to do this. In fact, the Bible says to do this. Apostle Paul says to pray for all men everywhere. In the very passage of 1 Timothy, you quoted verse 5. Look at verses 4, 1 through 4. Paul wants us to pray for everyone, kings and everybody. Uh, why should we do that? Why should we do that? Christ is the only mediator. If you ask me to pray for you, I'm not going to say, well, go to Jesus. He's the only mediator. I'm going to say, yes, I will. Because Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. We are little M's, little mediators in him. He is the intercessor. We are little intercessors in him. We go through Christ to the Father for everything. And so we can pray to Mary. We can pray to the saints, those who have um, gone from this life and are with God. We can pray. They don't need our prayer if they're in heaven. We need their prayers. It's the communion of saints. One of the things that helped me with that on the way to the Catholic Church was, um, um, oh, I forget uh, who it is that wrote the church's one, church apostrophe S is one foundation. Uh, Charles Wesley is Jesus Christ our Lord. And the third stanza says, but we on earth have union. This is a Protestant. But we on earth have union with God the three in one and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. There's communion between heaven and earth. We don't have, we're outside of time and space, and our communication is different. God allows that. All through Christ, he allows it. Um, so yes, the saints in heaven can pray for us, and the saints in purgatory can pray for us, and we can and must pray for the souls in purgatory. Um, Tony says, another question has to do with the next Bible verse, Matthew 23, 9, quote, and call no one your father on earth, for you have one father, the one is in heaven, end quote. I just don't understand the concept of calling a priest father. It is widely accepted as a sign of respect, and I do understand that, but wouldn't that Bible verse be in connection, uh, be in contention as a literal sign to not call a priest father? Absolutely not. What do you call the man that's married to your mother, father. What do you, we call um, church fathers? We say our, uh, many, many people are father in faith. They are our leaders. Um, they are our teachers. If you look at the context of Matthew 23, where he's yelling at the scribes and Pharisees, he's telling his disciples to not put any man in the place of God, which the Pharisees are doing. Don't put any man by calling him father in the place that belongs to God alone. But to call a priest father, we've, Paul says to Timothy, am I not your father? Timothy's not worshiping him. He's the father in the faith. Tony says, I've recently attended an evangelical non-denominational church to deepen my faith. Well, I was in an evangelical non-denominational church, Grace Community Church, headed and still is by John MacArthur, who I will be grateful for for all eternity. I was in that church 14 years, and he's a magnificent Bible expositor and taught me beyond anything I could ever express. I respect him, I love him, and I pray for him to become Catholic. So the fact that you've gone to an evangelical, non-denominational church to deepen my faith means that you don't know your Catholic faith. And Tony says, because that was the only place that helped me actually read the Bible for myself. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that, but the Bible you're reading is truncated because Luther took out seven plus 
books of the Bible. Tony says, I feel as if the Catholic Church does not want to explain these things to me, but that's not true. The Bible, the Catholic Church gave the world the Bible. Um, and if you go back and you read the early church fathers, you'll have the whole Bible explained to you. If I'm going, Tony says, in the wrong direction, please let me know. You are, Tony. You're going in the wrong direction. Or if you could shed light on my questions, I would highly appreciate it. Hopefully, in the short amount of time we've had, I've shed a little light. I do not want to give up on my Catholic belief, but I do want to know more and have a better understanding of why things like dogmas and doctrines of the Catholic belief exist despite being created after the Bible was created. That's not true. Again, the Bible came together in the 4th and 5th centuries. Um, But everything that we practice, the faith once delivered to the saints, as Jude writes, was right from the apostles on. Revelation ceased with the last apostle. The faith was practiced. All these things were practiced, including um, um, Mary and the saints and understanding. For four centuries, 400 years before the cannabis scripture came out, Tony, you've been given Protestant answers which are wrong. Um, I, I don't want you to give up on your Catholic belief, but I do want you to know that you do not know what it means to be a Catholic. And I'm going to recommend a couple of books to you. One is The Spirit of Catholicism by Carl Adam. The Spirit of Catholicism by Carl Adam. It speaks of a 13th century Catholicism before the Reformation, before Protestantism, where the world stopped at noon and prayed the Angelus. In the marketplace, in business, everyone stopped, got on their knees, and prayed the Angelus. Read The Spirit of Catholicism by Carl Adam. And the other book you should read, uh, to be many books, but uh, I'll recommend actually three. The second book is um, Fundamentalism and Catholicism. Fundamentalism and Catholicism by Carl Keating the founder of Catholic Answers, Fundamentalism and Catholicism, published by Ignatius Press. And the third I would recommend is Surprised by Joy. It's 11 evangelical pastors who became Catholic. It's edited by Patrick Madrid. I hope those things help you, Tony. Uh, And I hope that you truly ask God to lead you to an understanding of the Catholic faith so that if you leave it, you'll know what it is you're leaving. Right now, you don't know that. Okay, Um, we have an email from Janet, and Janet says, Dear Mother Miriam, we are not sure what to think. In our bulletin, our priest said that if we had 40 people adoring our Lord for one hour, it would be the same as one or two people for 40 hours. This just doesn't sit well. Do we confront him, and is this in any way correct? Maybe it's just laziness, or is there some modernism sneaking in? even in our traditional community. Thank you, Mother. Janet, I have no understanding of why your priest would say that. Why would you have 40 people for one hour and then our Lord being left alone for 40? That makes no sense whatsoever. Our Lord should never be left alone. So the math, as far as I'm concerned, it makes absolutely no sense. I wouldn't correct your priest. I would ask him to explain what he's saying. Um, we have an email from Andrew who writes, Hi, Mother. What was the protocol and purpose of Yom Kippur? 
that's the highest holy day of the Jewish year. And would it ever be consistent with the purpose of Christ fulfilling the law? Could the church ever observe it as some form of feast day? That is, Christ is the fulfillment of atoning for our sins. If the church is true Judaism in the Messiah, thank you for reading. God bless you in Christ. Andrew, oh my goodness, Andrew. There's so much in your question. Uh, I'll try to cover it when we come back from the break. Okay, hang on, and, um, and we'll be right back. All right, don't go away. Consecration to St. Michael the Archangel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A most noble prince of the angelic hierarchies, valorous warrior of Almighty God, and zealous lover of His glory, terror of the rebellious angels, and love and delight of all the just ones, my beloved Archangel St. Michael, desiring to be numbered among thy devoted servants, I today offer and consecrate myself to Thee, and place myself, my family, and all I possess under Thy most powerful protection. I entreat Thee not to look at how little I, as Thy servant, have to offer, being only a wretched sinner, but to gaze, rather, with favorable eye at the heartfelt affection with which this offering is made. And remember that if from this day onward I am under thy patronage. Thou must, during all my life, assist me and procure for me the pardon of my many grievous offenses and sins. The grace to love with all my heart, my God, my dear Savior Jesus, and my sweet mother Mary, and obtain for me all the help necessary to arrive to my crown of glory. Defend me always from my spiritual enemies, particularly in the last moments of my life. Come then, O glorious Prince, and succor me in my last struggle, and with thy powerful weapon, cast far from me into the infernal abysses, that prevaricator and proud angel, that one day thou prostrated in thy celestial battle. St. Michael, defend us in our daily battle, so that we may not perish in the last judgment. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, um, beloved, welcome back to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. We have 10 minutes. Still time for you to call in if you wish. Toll free. one 5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. 
we have an email from Andrew, which I read just prior to the break, and I'm going to read it very quickly and then kind of take it apart to answer it. Hi, Mother Andrew says, what was the protocol and purpose of Yom Kippur? And would it ever be consistent with the purpose of Christ filling the law, fulfilling the law? Could the church ever observe it as some form of feast day? Christ is the fulfillment of atoning for our sins. If the church is true Judaism in the Messiah, Thank you for reading. God bless you in Christ. Um, Andrew. Uh, Andrew, the church is not true Judaism in the Messiah in the sense of what Judaism was prior to the Messiah. All of Judaism prior to the Messiah, all of the Old Testament, all of the Old Covenant were, uh, was a sign, all of it. Every feast day, every sacrifice, every theme of every book, all of it was a sign to point to the one who would one day come, the Messiah, and fulfill all that it pointed to. The entire Old Testament was a sign to the new. The Old Covenant, a sign to the new, which was its fulfillment, which is why Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, Matthew 5, 17, but to fulfill it. Um, How do I say? God is holy and righteous and just. And he gave us a law to begin with the Ten Commandments, which are more than Ten Commandments, but they're divided into ten. Um, Exodus 20, uh, God's law, his commandments are holy and righteous and good because they come from a holy and righteous and good God. And he gave them to his people, Israel, whom he formed for himself from Abraham. However, uh, every human being coming out of Adam and Eve Uh, fell into original sin, were born into original sin. And so God's people, all of them, though set apart for him, through whom the Messiah would come, were sinners. And God gave them a law to say, you need to atone for your sin, because without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. The wages of sin is death. And so God gave the Old Testament people, um, the Old Covenant people, a sacrificial system that was their coloring book because it showed that animals had to be slaughtered and blood needed to be shed. It offered to God for the forgiveness of sin, and it was very gory and awful. And God wanted to impress upon them the heinousness of sin, how awful it was, and that it required death. Um But no Old Testament, not millions of lambs slain, not single Old Testament lamb. They were dead. They couldn't save anybody. Um, No Old Testament um, figure could atone for sins because they were simply dead. But every one of them, millions of lambs, were assigned to point to the one who would one day come, as we talked about yesterday, and take upon himself the sin not of an individual but of the entire world. And that's why when Jesus walked into the Jordan, he said, behold, John the Baptist looked at him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's what Jesus did. So Yom Kippur was the highest day of atonement. And only the high priest, uh, beginning with Aaron, Moses' brother, could go in to the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest of Israel could go in, but he had to atone for his own sins first. If he went in there with sin uh, unatoned for, he'd be struck dead. And it was the holiest day of the year. When I grew up in my Jewish faith, Yom Kippur 
no more sacrificial system, which was destroyed when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. We just sat and prayed in shul uh, all day. and We fasted, not even water, unless we had to have it. And that was uh, in place of animal sacrifices, we would fast and repent and atone for our sins. Um, we did that in ignorance because we could no longer keep the law uh, and we didn't understand about Christ who fulfilled the law. So um, Yom Kippur was practiced according to the book of Legitimus, uh, Le- Leviticus um, as the highest day of atonement. And when I gave my life to Christ and I realized that Jesus himself was the lamb, um, I, I couldn't believe how free I felt that Jesus did it. I could never do it, but Jesus did it for me. So no, we would never practice Yom Kippur again um, um, because Jesus has done it. It's good for us to know our history because there's no Catholic, no Christian, Catholic Christian or non-Catholic Christian, who, whose heritage is not the old covenant law and God's people. That's our heritage. And if you understand the law and what required then you have a deeper appreciation for its fulfillment. But you don't want to repeat that. You want, you want to rejoice in the fulfillment, knowing uh, what the beauty, uh, magnificence of the fulfillment is, because you know what the old law required. What else have you said here? Could the church ever observe it as some form of feast day? Absolutely not. No. Um, Yom Kippur is... Um, really fulfilled in the Mass. The Mass is the Passover fulfilled. The Mass is every sacrifice of the old law fulfilled in the Passover Lamb. That's what the Mass is. And so that's our feast day for Yom Kippur. It's the Mass. Um, So again, the Church is in true Judaism. The Church is Judaism, according to the old law, fulfilled in its Messiah and spread to the four corners of the earth. So you could say Catholicism is not true Judaism apart from the Messiah. Catholicism is the fulfillment of Judaism in its Messiah spread to the four corners of the earth. Andrew, I hope somehow this helps you. Um, Go to my brother's website, HebrewCatholic.net. My brother David heads it up all over the world, HebrewCatholic.net. And... um, You'll get a lot of understanding there. Um, I don't understand this message. Uh, Daniel, is Sean on the line? Okay. A final blessing. Oh, so you're saying he left this message online. When when a priest asks if it's anyone's birthday after the final blessing, when a priest asks if it's anyone's birthday after he gives the final blessing, and if he comments on it or sings happy birthday, has a birthday, is that proper? No, it's not. That has no um, uh, um, legitimacy to mass. Absolutely not. That sounds very Protestant. Um, after the final blessing, the issue is is um, Isa Mista asked to go out into the world. That's not the time to ask if it's anyone's birthday, nor is it appropriate at a Mass. Absolutely not. We have an email from John who says, Good morning, Mother. Um, 
I don't think we'll have too much time, but let me uh, uh, begin this anyway. John, good morning, Mother. I work at a Catholic college in New England. The college recently renovated the church and removed the pews and kneelers. When they do celebrate Mass, folding chairs and a temporary altar are brought in. That's tragic. They didn't renovate the church. They destroyed it. Oh, my goodness. I tell you what, dear one, I will take yours at the half, second half hour. I will take your email first tomorrow. Okay, God bless you. And um, we'll see you all tomorrow. Live your faith no matter what. Don't compromise. Be stronger now than ever. The church needs us. God needs us to be true Catholics, not to be woke, not to compromise with the world, no matter what our leaders are doing. Be absolutely faithful to the teaching of the church. God bless you, dear ones.